Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. A $50 billion offer by drug makers and distributors to settle the opioid litigation has ignited a fight between state attorneys general and thousands of local governments over how much the pharmaceutical industry should pay for its role in creating the opioid crisis. Many attorneys general are backing the offers, while lawyers for local governments are rejecting them. Joining me is Eric Gordon, a professor at the Ross School of Business. Municipalities learned a hard lesson from the big tobacco settlement. So is the problem that, despite what seems like a large number, they think it isn't enough? Is that the only problem? I think it's not so much just the amount. The cities want to make sure they get what they think is their fair share. As you said, in the tobacco settlement, the cities thought that the states hogged the money, and they don't want to repeat as that. And there's a second issue. There's the timing of when they'll get the money. So they don't want to get the money over 10 or 20 years. They want to get the money now, because whatever is the link or lack of link to the opioid things, a lot of cities are in big financial trouble, and a billion dollars today is a lot more valuable than $100 million a year over 10 years. States also oppose the deal. So when you look at those numbers, how far away from a global settlement are we, or can that all change really quickly? I think it can change quickly, not easily, but you know, I think the judge can do some head-hitting And I think the uh, states and the cities face a tough choice, which is get this settled even for an amount that isn't the amount we hope for and get it settled now and start getting money now or battle this out over what could be two, three or four years. So I think the pressure is on to settle it. But, you know, there's some history that makes it a little tougher. And there's a lot of elbowing going on. Interestingly, I'm not sure the toughest fight is between the plaintiffs and the defendants. I think the toughest fight is amongst the plaintiffs themselves. Let's talk about the $260 million settlement on the eve of the first federal opioid trial. The lawyers were negotiating until about one in the morning. Others were getting ready for trial before they settled. That trial would have been what's called a bellwether. Which side fared best in the settlement, the plaintiff Ohio counties or the drug distributors? It's hard to tell which of them fared better. What you can say is that the bellwether really didn't become much of a bellwether because in the bellwether, you get to see the other side present their case. You get to see their witnesses under cross-examination, and you get to see a real fact finder, in this case a real jury, make a decision. And on that basis, you have a lot more information to decide what terms you're willing to offer or accept in a settlement. Here, they didn't go through that. As you said, I mean, literally on the courthouse steps, they settled it. So the bellwether didn't work all that terrifically as a bellwether. The one thing it did do is it gave uh, a range of settlement amounts. It was $250 million, not $2.5 billion. So we sort of know the order of magnitude in which people are willing to settle, but we haven't seen what happens when you really go into the courtroom. So it's only sort of a half bellwether.
And one of the factors there seemed to be the ability of the municipalities to get the money quickly. Yeah, the municipalities wanted the money, and they wanted it now. They're in financial trouble today, and these things of spreading the money over 10 years or getting, you know, sort of payment in kind, getting anti-opioid drugs over the course of 10 years was not as appealing to them as getting millions of dollars of cash in the door right now. The lawyer for the cities and counties is one of the best plaintiff's lawyers in the country, and he was preparing a real show at trial. So is a problem also going to be the plaintiff's attorneys and how much they get and how tough they are? Well, they're tough, but those of us who've litigated or negotiated deals know that you'd rather face a really smart, really experienced opponent, even if he or she is really tough, because at least they're experienced and they know how to settle things. It's much tougher to deal with an amateur. I think there's some disappointment that we didn't get to see the plaintiff's show because they always put on a good show. The plaintiff's attorneys are going to ask for lots and lots of money. And June, you know from our other conversations, I'm not always a fan of plaintiff's lawyers who skim off millions of dollars and leave their clients with very little. But this case is quite different. In this case, the plaintiff's lawyers did a tremendous amount of work. They went through piles and piles of documents and evidence. So they're going to uh, want a lot of money, and they probably have earned it. Did the plaintiff's lawyers really do the groundwork rather than the attorneys generals of the states? Was it, the plaintiff's it was a lawyers? team effort, but clearly the plaintiff's lawyers added some value because the attorneys general are not staffed to do cases like this, especially the attorneys general from some of the smaller states. So they, they all worked together, but I think uh, it would have been tough for the attorneys general to get the results they've gotten and are likely to get without the help of really experienced plaintiff's attorneys. Is the opioid litigation a lot like the tobacco litigation, or is it different because of the opioid crisis that the country is still suffering through? I think the opioid litigation is tougher because the damage is more horrifying. In the tobacco litigation, people died of lung cancer, and, and that's a horrifying way to die, but people died quietly and privately. The opioid crisis is very public. You walk down the streets of almost any town, small towns as well as big cities, and you see the results of the opioid crisis. And it reached people who had no idea about the dangers. We, we knew about the dangers of tobacco for a long time, and people kept smoking anyway. A lot of the people who suffered in the opioid crisis were just taking pills that their doctor prescribed, um, and they looked to their doctors for prescribing things that would make them better, uh, not addicts. So I, I, the opioid thing is, I, I think, a level even worse than the tobacco disaster. Is that why the manufacturers and distributors want to settle fast without even going to trial? They're not even going through trials to see what will happen before they say we'll settle. 
I think a lot of the defendants think that there's no chance of getting a fair trial. I think they uh, fear that when the story of the opioid crisis is told to the jurors, that the jurors are just going to sock it to them without paying much attention to the science or the law. I think they're just frightened about the prospect of no, no such thing as a, a real fair trial for them. Did we learn anything from the Oklahoma trial? Well, we learned that uh, there it was a fact finder. It was a judge, not a jury, but a tough judge who you expect to be less emotional than a jury said, well, you're guilty. You did really horrible stuff, and you're going to pay a lot of money. If you lose in front of a judge, you're almost certainly going to lose in front of a jury. Is there any way to tell what the timeline is here? We're talking months, years? I think we're talking months, not years. We could be surprised and get a settlement within a couple of weeks, but I I think months is more realistic. I think there's going to be urgency on the side of the cities and states who need the money to not wait for years. And I think on the defendant side, they want to get this behind them. They want some certainty on it. The stock market does not like uncertainty and might be discounting the value of the companies by even more than the companies will end up paying. So both sides have reasons to get it settled sooner rather than later. Thanks, Eric. That's Eric Gordon, a professor at the Ross School of Business. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.